Hello. Hello. Welcome to Infinite Cast, a pod jest. Allegedly. Uh, allegedly. Um, we are, uh, last, last night we went out to celebrate uh, my, the, the, the triumphant launch of my president's podcast uh, by going to a, uh, an EDM show. An electronic dance, dance music, music concert. Oh, uh, I'm so happy. Yeah, it was great. Uh, sh- shout out to going out and dancing with me and 5,000 of my closest friends. I got to say, I, lo- I love a DIY rock show. Love it. Yes. Like my lifeblood. <sighs> it's really hard to meet new people at DIY rock shows because you're either, there's, if you've gone alone, you're s- s- crumpled up in a little ball on your phone, not inviting uh, posture, or you're with like buds that it seems like yeah. you guys have known forever. And I got to say, the porousness of meeting people at an EDM show is my freaking favorite. Yeah, it's great. You can talk to anyone. You can talk to literally anyone. Oh, yeah. At the end of the concert, I was waving my hands around and my fucking wedding band whiffed <laughs> off and onto the floor someplace. Uh, and, you know, it, it's, it speaks to the, uh, the spirit of plur, peace, love, uh, unity, respect, that everyone in the immediate vicinity, when they saw me, like, pop my camera, uh, my phone light onto the ground looking around everybody was like oh my god what are you looking for yeah yeah can we help you yeah which that's 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 like diy rock shows as well to a certain extent, yeah, to a certain but extent. well that's like getting like if you're in a, a mosh pit and you fall down and people are trying yeah, to help you it's come, pit, yeah. pit ethics but i found i found my wedding ring i found your wedding ring we found we found the wedding, wedding ring, ring which is which is great yeah <laughs> thank, thank goodness just it was really funny when i we were trying to like wait a little longer after being kicked out at the end of the night and uh, the security guy when i was like we're looking for my husband's wedding ring like is it okay if we just take like a couple more minutes to just like sweep the ground and he just he was just like oh no like he, he like he just he, he was he just had this face of being like you're not gonna get that back man um I should really but I found I found a girl's lighter on the ground earlier in the night, so I think it was karmic retribution. Yeah, or karmic reward. Karmic reward. Yeah, retribution is a negative thing. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I should get this thing resized. Yeah, you got to get that thing resized. <laughs> it's going to whiff out the window while you're driving. I know. All right. Anyway. All right. Shall, shall we? Yes. We finally. Thanks for hanging in with us last week during that thunderstorm where I was definitely talking. Really, it was. I feel like it was not a great read vibe. Like I feel like I sounded really um, aggressive. Uh. Because well, I was trying to be heard over, over the, the thunder. thunder. Well, I think that that was one of the greatest podcast episodes ever recorded. Wow. Damn. He said it. I do love environmental. Uh, I love a field recording. Yeah, field recording. Yeah. It makes me feel like um, that guy that uh, James Murphy worked with, uh, David Holmes or something. Yeah. He was. He would talk about, he's like, yeah, I think he's British. We used to take, we used to drop acid and just walk around New York City recording street sounds. <laughs> yes. I'm like, hell yeah, man. All right. Anyway, we're, we finally finished the interminable end note 110. Hey, I thought that was a good end note because it tells you about, you know, it's a world building end note. It's a world building end note and, mm-hmm. a, and a character building end note. Yeah. But we'll get back into the text now for some more uh, world and character building. Okay, great. A little more character than world. You ready? Yes. The first birth of the Incandenza's second son was a surprise. The tall and eye-poppingly curvaceous Avril Incandenza did not show, bled like clockwork, no hemorrhoids or gland static, no pica, 
affect and appetite normal. She threw up some mornings, but who didn't in those days? <laughs> it was on a metal-lit November evening in the seventh month of a hidden pregnancy that she stopped Avril on her husband's long arm as they ascended the maple staircase of the Back Bay brownstone they were soon to leave, stopped, turned partly toward him, ashen, and opened her mouth in a mute way that was itself eloquent. Her husband looked down at her, paling. What is it? It's pain. It was pain. Broken water had made several steps below them gleam. She seemed to James and Condenza to sort of turn in toward herself, hold herself low, curl and sink to a stair step she barely made the edge of, hunched, her forehead against her shapely knees. And Condenza saw the whole thing in a light like he was Vermeer. She sank steadily from his side and he bent to hers, and then she tried to rise. Wait, 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 wait. It's pain. A bit ragged from an afternoon of wild turkey and low-temperature holography, James had thought Avril was dying right before his eyes. His own father had dropped dead on a set of stairs. Luckily, Avril's half-brother Charles Tavis was upstairs, using the portable stairmaster he'd brought with him for an extended and emotional battery-recharging visit the preceding spring, after the horrible snafu with a video scoreboard at Toronto's Sky Dome. <laughs> I'm not sure if I ever know what happens there with CT, but maybe we can maybe Speculate. we can find out. And yeah. if if someone knows and wants to tell with me the in the video DMs. scoreboard. Uh, some kind of horrible snafu. And he heard the commotion and scuttled out and down and promptly took charge. I love the way he writes about CT that he's just like this like kind of creepy, like uh, hapless dude. Yeah, scuttled. scuttled. A portable stairmaster. <laughs> <laughs> he had to be more or less scraped out, Mario, like the meat of an oyster from a womb Aww. to whose sides he'd been found spiderishly clinging, Aww. tiny and unobtrusive, attached by cords of sinew at both feet and a hand, the other fist stuck to his face by the same material, which takes us to endnote 113, which sinewy stuff is described by the OBGYN specialist in his dicta chart as neural gray. Uh, back to the text. He was a complete surprise and terribly premature and withered, and he spent the next many weeks waggling his withered and contractured arms up at the Pyrex ceilings of incubators, being fed by tubes and monitored by wires and cupped in sterile palms, his head cradled by a thumb. Mario had been given the name of Dr. James Incandenza's father's father, a dour and golf-addicted Green Valley, Arizona oculist who'd made a small fortune just after Jim grew up and flew, fled east by inventing those, quote, X-ray specs that don't work but whose allure for mid-60s pubescent comic book readers almost compelled mail order, then selling the copyrights to New England novels, novelty industry titan Acme Co., then promptly in mid-putt died, Mario Sr. did, allowing James Incandenza Sr. to retire from a sad third career as the man from GLAD, which takes us to endnote 114. Uh, uh, BS uh, MCMLX2, uh, I'm not sure what Roman numeral that is, Six 62? We'll check. The Glad Flaccid Receptacle Corporation, Zanesville, Ohio, sponsor of the very last year of Onanite subsidized time, QV Note 78, all rights reserved. <laughs> That's important to note. Year of Glad, which is the year at the beginning of this book, is, is the, the last, last year, year of, of subsidized, subsidized time. time. Okay. Back to the text. The man from Glad in sandwich bag commercials during the BS 1960s and moved back to the saguaro-studded desert he loathed and efficiently drink himself to a cerebral hemorrhage on a Tucson stairway. 
Anyway, Mario 2's incomplete gestation and arachnoidal birth left the kid with some lifelong character-building physical challenges. Size was one, he being in sixth grade about the size of a toddler and at 18 plus in a range somewhere between elf and jockey. So Mario is like four feet tall? Uh, Yeah, correct. Okay. There was the matter of the withered looking and Brady oxidic arms, which just as in a hair raising case of Volkman's contracture, which takes us to end note 115, <laughs> Volkman's contracture is some kind of severe serpentine deformation of the arms following a fracture that hadn't been set right or splinted or where the arm's been allowed to stay all woundedly bent as it heals. Bradyoxesis refers to some parts of the body not growing as fast as some other parts of the body. Himself and the moms got plenty familiar with these sort of congenital challenge terms and many more, re-Mario, particularly the variations on the medical root Brady from the Greek bradys, meaning slow, such as bradylexia, uh, also I don't know if I'm saying brady, it's B-R-A-D-Y, bradylexia, uh, W slash R slash T reading, bradyphenia, practical problem-solving type thinking, nocturnal bradyapnea, bradypnea, dangerously slow breathing during sleep sometimes, which is why Mario uses four pillows minimum. (laughs) Brady pedestrianism, obvious, and especially bradykinesia, an almost gerontologic lontissimo (laughs) about most of Mario's movements, an exaggerated slowness that both resembles and permits extremely slow, close attention to whatever's being done. Mm. Back to the text. Uh, Volkman's contracture curled out in front of his thorax in majuscule S's and were usable for rudimentary knifeless eating and slapping at doorknobs until they sort of turned just enough and (laughs) doors could be kicked open and forming a pretend lens frame to scout scenes through, plus maybe tossing tennis balls very short distances to players who wanted them, but not for much else, though the arms were impressively, almost familial familial dysautonomically, pain resistant and could be pinched punctured singed and even compressed in a basement optical device securing vice-like thing by mario's older brother Orin, without effect or complaint <laughs> uh what what did he say um familial dysautonomically that's a <laughs> hell of a hyphenate Brady pedestrianism-wise, Mario had not so much club feet as more like block feet. Not only flat, but perfectly square. Good for kicking knob-fumbled doors open, but with too short to be... With doors, sorry. uh, Kicking knob-fumbled doors open with, but too short to be conventionally employed as feet. Together with the lordosis in his lower spine, they force Mario to move in the sort of lurchy half-stumble of a vaudeville inebriate, body tilted way forward as if into a wind, right on the edge of pitching face-first onto the ground, which as a child he did fairly often, whether given a bit of a shove from behind by his older brother Orin or no. The frequent forward falls help explain why Mario's nose was squished severely in and so flared out to either side of his face but did not rise from it, with the consequence that his nostrils tended to flap just a bit, particularly during sleep. One eyelid hung lower than the other over his open eyes. Good and gently brown eyes, if a bit large and protrusive to qualify as conventionally human eyes. The one lid hung like an ill-tempered window shade, and his older brother Orin had sometimes tried to give the recalcitrant lid that smart type of downward snap that can unstick a dicky shade, but has succeeded <laughs> in only in gradually loosening the lid from his sutures so that it eventually had to be refashioned and reattached in yet another blepharoplasty procedure oh, because it was in fact not Mario's real eyelid, 
That had been sacrificed when the fist stuck to his face like a tongue to cold metal had been peeled away at nativity. But an extremely advanced blepharoprosthesis of dermofibropolymer studded with horsehair lashes that curved out into space well beyond the reach of his other lid's lashes, and together with the lazy lid action itself, gave even Mario's most neutral expression the character of an oddly friendly pirate's squint, <laughs> together with the involuntarily constant smile. This is also uh, this is probably also the place to mention Hal's older brother Mario's khaki-colored skin, an odd dead gray-green that in its corticate texture and together with his atrophic incurled arms and arachnodactylism gave him, particularly from a middle distance, an almost uncannily reptilian-slash-dinosaurian look. The fingers being not only mucronate and talon-esque, but non-prehensile, which is what made Mario's knife work untenable at table. Plus the thin, lank, slack hair, at once tattered and somehow too smooth, that looked at 18-plus like the hair of a short, plump, 48-year-old stress engineer and athletic director and academy headmaster who grows one side to girlish length and carefully combs it so it rides thinly up and over the gleaming yarmulke Yamaka? Yamaka. Yamaka. Whenever I read it, I'm like, Yarmulka. Yarmulk. Uh, of bare gray green complected scalp on top and over down to the over the other side where it hangs lank and fools no one and tends to flap back up over in any wind Charles Tavis forgets to carefully keep his left <laughs> side to. Can't resist roasting that guy. Yeah. Or that he's slow. Hal's brother is technically Stanford Binet wise slow. The Brandeis CDC found, but not verifiably not retarded or cognitively damaged or Brady Frenic. More like refracted almost, mm -hmm. ever so slightly epistemically epistemically bent. A pole poked into mental water and just a little <laughs> off and just taking a little bit longer in the manner of all refracted things. Mm -hmm. He's, this is, is certainly a, don't a get mad at me that I, I said the R word on a podcast. Uh, that is the correct context for that word. That is the correct context, allegedly. Um, he's certainly he's certainly doing a good job. He's painting a, a picture, a, a grim and pathetic portrait of this person. Um, when a, I, I sometimes poke into the Infinite Jest subreddit now, mm -hmm. and someone commented on the um like extended grotesqueries where you get yeah. a hint of what someone is like and it isn't until like a hundred pages, pages later, later that, that you, you know yeah. and it makes it that much more like interesting yeah uh is there is there mario and condensa fan art i would like to see it i would like to see fan art for for a lot of this yeah i said what did, didn't we theorize that somebody should do like an uh like an anime style anime. Po a manga yeah, yeah. Of, uh, you know, uh, uh, of this as a, like a tennis OVA or something like that. You know who I was thinking would actually, I know we keep talking about film adaptations. You know who I would trust with this above anyone else? <laughs> the Wachowski sisters. Oh, yes. I think they oh could my kill God, it. Like a Cloud Atlas style. Oh, Infinite Jest. I would like to see it. <sighs> oh, that's a really good idea. All right. Um, or that his status at the Enfield Tennis Academy erected along with Dr. and Mrs. I's marriage's third and final home at the northern rear of the grounds when Mario was nine and Hallie eight and Oren 17 and in his one ETA year B4 singles and in the USTA's top 75, that Mario's life there is by all appearances kind of a sad and left out type existence. The only physically challenged minor in residence, unable even to grip a regulation stick or stand unaided behind a boundaried space. That he and his late father had been, no pun intended, inseparable. 
that Mario'd been like an honorary assistant production assistant assistant production assistant <laughs> and carried the late in condenses film and lenses and filters in a complex backpack the size of a joint of beef for most of the last <laughs> three years of the late blooming filmmaker's life attending him on shoots and sleeping with multiple pillows in small soft available spaces in the same motel room as himself and occasionally tottering out for a bright red plastic bottle of something called big red soda water and taking it to the apparently mute veiled graduate intern down the motel's hall. I remember big red soda. Mm-hmm. Fetching coffee and Joe and various pancreatitis remedies and odds and ends for props and helping D. Lath out with continuity when Incondenza wanted to preserve continuity. Basically being the way any son would be whose dad let him into his heart's final and best loved love. Lurching gamely but not pathetically to keep up with the tall, stooped, increasingly batsman's slow, patient two-meter stride through airports, train stations, carrying the lenses, inclined ever forward but in no way resembling any kind of leashed pet. When required to stand upright and still, like when videotaping an ETA's service motion or manning the light meters on the set of a high-contrast chiaroscuro art film, <laughs> Mario in his forward list is supported by a new, uh, new NYC apartment door-style police lock, a 0.7-meter steel pole that extends from a special Velcroed vest and angles about 40 degrees down and out to a slotted piece of lead blocking, a bitch to carry in that complicated pack, placed by someone understanding and prehensile on the ground before him. He stood thus buttressed on sets himself had him er help erect and furnish and light, the lighting usually unbelievably complex and for some parts of the crew sometimes almost blinding, sunbursts <laughs> of angled mirrors and merino lamps and key light cleags, Mario getting a thorough technical grounding in a cinematic craft he never imagined, uh, ev never even imagined being able to pursue on his own until Xmas of the year of the trial size Dove Bar, when a gaily wrapped package forwarded from the offices of Incondenza's attorney revealed that himself had designed and built and legally willed in a codicil to be gaily wrapped and forwarded for Mario's 13th Xmas, a trusty old Bolex H64 Rex 5 takes us to EndNote 116, pretty much the BMW of 16mm digital cartridge recorders, brought out in limited numbers by Payard Cinématique of Sherbrooke, Quebec, Canada, <laughs> just weeks before its manufacturing facilities were annually hyperfluoriated and the company went belly up. Uh, this, the the Joe's uh, encouraging of, of Mario's uh, cinematic ambitions is very sweet. Yes. Uh, Bolex H64 Rex 5 Tri-Lens. Maybe the, the, only, the only nice thing that we have uh, been been told that uh, J.O. has do, does in Does this. for anybody? Yeah. Also, the, it sounds like the only way he's ever gotten accessibility. Why is he having to open doorknobs? Why aren't all the doors in the apartment well, They should have those flap, flapper style doorknobs. Yeah. You know, not not the knob kind, but the one that's like a little lever. Yeah. So you can just like push down on it. It's just, it's interesting that he didn't get any kind of like accessibility really help until he helped uh, himself. Yeah. Him, himself. Uh, a trusty old Bolex H64 Rex 5 tri-lensed camera bolted to an oversized old leather aviator's helmet. <laughs> and I didn't realize the helmet was like a it's a camera. <laughs> well, well, I did. I, I when you oh, said an, helmet, an old leather like a Amelia Earhart. I was thinking like a bicycle helmet, oh, yeah. basically, but not not a uh, you know an, yeah an aviator's helmet. 
supported by struts whose ends were the inverted tops of training room crutches and curved nicely over Mario's shoulders. So the Bolex H64 required no digital prehensility because it fit over Mario's oversized face, which takes us to EndNote 117. Uh, dot 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 overshot the place to mention that Mario's head in perverse con- contradistinction to the arm trouble is hyperoxidic and two to three times the size of your more average elf to jockey size head and fa- fascies back to the text over overshot it, the place to mention I, I, again I'm just like it's cute that it is that's cute but it's also like uh, this is a comment that I had from a many many episodes ago about, about like who is the narrator of this book, you know, he knows everything. Yeah, and why? It might, it why might is he be commenting a, on his own narration style or ability? You it know? might be a de- dead himself. Yeah. sees all. Um, it fit over Mario's oversized face like a tri-plated scuba mask, and was controlled by a sewing machine adapted foot treadle. But even then, it took some serious getting used to. And Mario's earliest pieces of digital juvenilia are marred slash enhanced by this palsied pointing every which way quality of like home movies shot at a dead run. <laughs> I loved marred slash enhanced. <laughs> yes. Every marred and, and enhanced. Yes. That, that's how I feel about my own work. I'm like <laughs> everything that I do wrong. I'm choosing to mm-hmm. believe. Uh, yeah. All my weaknesses are, are strengths. Mm-hmm. Five years hence, Mario's facility with the head mount Bolex attenuates the sadness of his status here, allowing him to contribute via making the annual ETA fundraising documentary cartridge, videotaping students' strokes, and occasionally from over the railing of Stitt's supervisory transom, the occasional challenge match. The tapings become part of the pro, uh, pro instruction package detailed in the ETA catalog, plus producing more ambitious, arty-type things that occasionally find a bit of an Auclef-type following in the ETA community. After Orin and Condenza left the nest to first hit and then kick collegiate balls, there was almost nobody at ETA uh, or its Enfield Brighton environs who did not treat Mario M. Incondenza with the casual gentility of somebody who doesn't uh, pity you or admire you so much as just vaguely prefer it when you're around. And Mario, despite rectilinear feet, and cumbersome police lock, the most prodigious walker and recorder in three districts, uh, hit the unsheltered area streets daily at a very slow pace, a halting constitutional, sometimes with head-mounted bolex and sometimes not, and took citizens' kindness and cruelty the same way, with a kind of extra-inclined half-bow that mocked his own canted posture without pity or cringe. Mario's an especial favorite among the low-rent shopkeepers up and down ETA's stretch of Commonwealth Ave, and photographic stills from some of his better efforts adorn the walls behind certain Com-Ave deli counters and steam presses and Korean-keyed cash registers. The object of a strange and maybe kind of clicky affection from Lyle the spandexed sweat guru, (laughs) to whom he sometimes brings caffeine-free diet Cokes to cut the diet's salt, Mario sometimes (laughs) finds younger ETAs referred to him by Lyle, on really ticklish matters of injury and incapacity and character and rallying what remains and never knows, never much knows what to say. <laughs> Trainer Barry Loach all but kisses the kid's ring since it's Mario who, through coincidence, saved him from the rank panhandling underbelly of Boston Commons netherworld and more or less got him his job, which takes us to end note 118. You'd somehow think that Mario would be thick as thieves with the blue-collar custodial and kitchen and physical plant-slash-ground staff, but it's odd. 
He and they never have much to say to each other, and with rare exceptions, none of the ETAs, including Mario, has anything interpersonal to do with the nine-month part-time halfway house rehabilitating workers who mostly mow and mop and empty trash and load dishes into the dining hall's steamer and who radiate a kind of slitty-eyed reserve that seems <laughs> far more sullen and ungrateful than shy. Uh Wait, so is is that the first time that's made ex- explicit the idea that the uh, the uh, Enfield, Enfield House yeah. people work at the tennis academy? It was hinted at once before when they were describing the VA complex and mm-hmm. saying that some people um, go work up for the like the shiny tennis academy. Okay. But yeah, this is this is reinforcing that. Okay. <laughs> uh, plus, of back to the text. Plus, of course, there's the fact that Stitt himself constitutionalizes with him of certain warm evenings we've seen that scene before and lets him ride in his surplus sidecar mm-hmm. an object of some weird attracto repulsive gestalt for charles tavis mario treats ct with the quiet deference he can feel his possible half uncle wanting and stays out of his way as much as possible for tavis's sake mm-hmm. players at denny's when they all get up to go to denny's almost uh vie to see who gets cut up the cut upable parts of Mario's under 12 size kilo breakfast. Uh, and his younger and way more externally impressive brother, Hal, almost idealizes Mario secretly. God type issues aside, Mario is a semi walking miracle, Hal believes. People who are somehow burned at birth, withered or ablated way past anything like what might be fair, they either curl up in their fire or else they rise. Withered Saurian homodontic, which takes us to end note 119, uh, dot, 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 also overshot the spot to include that Mario's a homodont. All his teeth are bicuspids and identical front and back, not unlike a porpoise. It's a source of unending struggle for Ted Shack, who tends to avoid Mario because whenever he's around him, he has to fight the urge to have him open up and submit to scrutiny, which Shack can well imagine would hurt his feelings. Nobody wants to be an object of clinical interest like that. That's that's a Shack is such a good guy. That's, he's such a nice guy. Uh, withered Saurian homodontic Mario floats for Hal. He calls him Boo Boo, but fears his opinion more than probably anybody except their mom's. Hal remembers the unending hours of blocks and balls on the hardwood floors of early childhood's 36 Bell Ave, Weston, Massachusetts. Tangrams and Sea and Spell. Huge-headed Mario hanging in there for games he could not play, for make-believe in which he had no interest other than proximity to his brother. Oh, Avril remembers... <laughs> it's going to make me cry. This is making me tear up. <laughs> Everyone remembers Mario still wanting Hal to help him with bathing and dressing at 13, an age when most unchallenged kids are ashamed of the very space their sound pink bodies take up. <laughs> True. And wanting the help for Hal's sake, not his own. Despite himself and showing a striking lack of insight into his mom's psyche, Hal fears that Avril sees Mario as the family's real prodigy, an invent <laughs> savant-type genius of no classifiable type, a very rare and shining thing. Even if his intuition, slow and silent, scares her, his academic poverty breaks her heart. The smile he puts on each AM without fail since the suicide of their father makes her wish she could cry. This is why she tries so terribly hard to leave Mario alone, not to hover or ring, to treat him so less specially than she wants. It is for him. 
It is kind of noble, pitiable. Her love for the son who was born a surprise transcends all other experiences and informs her life, Hal suspects. It was Mario, not Avril, who obtained Hal his first copies of the unabridged OED at a time when Hal was still being shunted around for the assessment of possible damage. Boo Boo <laughs> pulling them home in a wagon by his bicuspids over the fake rural <laughs> blacktop roads of upscale Weston. <laughs> <laughs> months before Hal tested out at whatever's beyond eidetic on the mnemonic verbal inventory designed by a dear and trusted colleague of the moms at Brandeis it was Avril not Hal who insisted that Mario live not in HMH with her and Charles Tavis but with Hal in an ETA sub dorm but in the year of dairy products from the American heartland <laughs> it was Hal not she who, when the veiled legate from the union of the hideously and improbably deformed showed up at the ETA driveway's portcullis to discuss with Mario issues of blind inclusion versus visual <laughs> estrangement, uh, of the openness of concealment the veil might afford him. It was Hal, even as Mario laughed and half bowed, it was Hal, brandishing his Dunlop stick, who told the guy to go peddle his linen someplace else. <laughs> Is that a... What do you think? Yeah, that's what we're at. Uh, yeah, we're twenty minutes. Sorry, that's good. I, these, uh... I I think that that's. Oh, oh yeah. See now this this mic cord is cutting out a little. Uh oh. Uh, this is why I wanted the other cord. I'm sorry. How did you lose a cord in know. our own house? I it's got to be somewhere. Oh it's look, it's got to be somewhere. I don't lose anything. Anyway, um, his portrayal of Mario is is I find very um heart heart wrenching, but also you know sympathetic. Yeah, I was asking a while ago um, what, like, whether, you know, thinking about, like, ableism or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, not, like, reading this again and, like, remembering. I, I think he does have a kind of uh, sensitive treatment of this, like, truly, Grotesque. like, insane <laughs> yeah. level of congenital deformity. Mm -hmm. um, God, that, oh, man. I, I also just came up with a theory, which I, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to be able to tell you yet, but I'm going to, it involves some spoilers and I want to clock it in my mind of okay. what the birth, the birth of Mario and how it changed the moms. To, do you want me to like close my ears no. while you spool it into the, no, uh, no, <laughs> okay. no, because people are probably reading for the first time. Some yeah, of them. that's true. I'll, I'll remember it. Um, yeah, the, 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 the fact that Oren kind of tortures him yeah. is disturbing. And maybe suggest yeah, it's, it's, I don't. I don't it mean. It's also very like understandable, like little kid stuff. I think Mario's nine when ha uh, or in seventeen, so like he should know. Oh better. yeah, that's true. I I forgot he was that much older. Uh, but the affection and and deference uh paid to him by Hal mm -hmm. and um the moms. I mean the moms and more, himself. Uh, yeah, that he yeah that he was able like he. That's it, it's funny that him as a figure like he he was the one who was the most involved in their yeah. father's life in the last years of his life. Yeah. Uh Yeah, and it, it, it it you know, I guess I guess it feels you know, I guess it feels in a certain way like he is using <laughs> this grotesque child as a device because it's more about what this person does to other people. Mhm. Mm yeah, it's a little like forced Gumpy. <laughs> it do, he way. doesn't have a lot of interiority. You can, you yeah. see it somewhat in like his conversation with Stitt and his conversation with, with Hal. Hal. 
Um, but yeah, you're you're not inside his own brain. That was pretty much observed from yeah. the outside. Um, yeah, just all the I don't know the the um like playing him playing with them as kids, and then like Hal helping him like bathe and dress as yeah. a as a a palliative for Hal, not Mario. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's funny. Like, you, could you argue that the parents? the incandenses are terrible parents. Yes. yes. And then you could also th- say that they have some redeeming qualities. Yes. I think that's what, uh, you know, makes us good is that everybody in this is, uh, complicated. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And because it's a, I think it's a, you know, a, a nice good move to be like how Mario needs to live with you in the dorms. The, the, I think only other thing I'll say that I will say now is that, uh, surprise pregnancy. Yes. Uh, CT, unexpectedly home after a weird incident with a <laughs> with Toronto the video um, scoreboard scoreboard uh, CT either uh, the mom's adopted brother or half brother CT's reaction to Mario very much reminds me of um, Oscar Blues. oh yes <laughs> um, who is around Buster and mm. knows that he's his dad and can't really say anything. Oh God, yes. Uh, do 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 do. <laughs> the, I, I, so I'm actually. The, I think the, it is. It's reasonable to put together that it's possible that Mario is, is CT's kid. CT's kid. They, he literally describes him as having the same hair. Same hair. Uh, the Bluths as Incandenza stand-ins, I think, is an interesting comparison because obviously the uh, the Incandenzas have measures of actual success that are greater yeah you know they have like actual skills i mean yeah i guess define <laughs> actual you know yeah but uh i, real, I it's real estate at the end of the day they caught co- they copped some real estate yeah. in a in a arizona, enfield in enfield in arizona yeah uh but i i do i i feel like that there's something resonant about that analogy you know <laughs> <laughs> you're my baby now <laughs> when uh when uh buster gets his hand you're yeah. my baby <laughs> uh yeah the- also the the attention paid to stray from the blues the attention paid to this idea of like not not wanting to treat him any differently mm-hmm. but that in the not treating him differently might just be as sometimes yeah. you do have to treat people differently yeah i mean you treat everybody you know differently and tr- and a going out of your way to not treat somebody differently is going to, uh, by d- definition, mean treating them differently. Because he's, I'm sorry, my, my man is different. Yes. He's like four feet tall. He's kind of greenish. <laughs> he has a comb over A comb over at age 18. All his S-shaped teeth arms, are the same All his teeth, teeth are like, uh, he's got dolphin teeth. <laughs> like, th- this man, uh, is bu- he's built different. Yeah, he's built different. But he's, but he's kind and good at cameras. And hey, a fellow a fellow filmmaker yeah fellow filmmaker he's a content creator he's a content creator <laughs> he's been, he i mean it's funny like it, if you think about where like hope of like legacy or whatever mm-hmm. like he seems to me a clearer v- a version of that in himself than either of the tennis slash football boys yeah jock dad versus filmmaker dad what well, it is it's funny because it's like what is i mean i i think that clearly one of the things that that uh he's going at here with the these generational incandenza stories 
is like what is the meaning of like legacy and passing stuff on and Mm -hmm. yeah with the film thing it is like he spent uh, uh himself spent the his entire first part of his life being like the thing is tennis and like yeah. training and, and establishing new generations of tennis players and then the last part of his life is like actually <laughs> I'm, I'm a filmmaker yeah and so it's like two kids the two uh, like <laughs> correct kids are still training up in this in this tennis route and mm-hmm. then the uh the deformed middle kid is the one that he pet I, I it's, it's all very art, interesting art dad jock dad art dad jock dad but i would argue filmmaking and this is just me talking wildly mm. out of pocket filmmaking is kind of a jock art it, it, because it is technical mm. and in a way that is kind of like <sighs> i don't know like you start swinging your dick around yeah, like you got all this just, equipment and you're bossing people around mm-hmm. you're telling people what to do yeah but Mario is a truly independent filmmaker. He, he doesn't need any help. Although he worked, you know, he now works with Pemulus in the like labs. Yes. So he's he's found a kindred spirit. Um, they should send his ass to film school. How he, old is he now? He's like, if he's a he's nineteen. Yeah. Send his ass to fuck. Go ahead, send his ass to Emerson College. He doesn't even need, to, need leave to leave the, the city. State, yeah. Uh, okay, because. Um, uh, uh, shit. Um, the, I was just thinking about the Bluths, the the oldest yeah, yeah. Bluth brother, uh, Job. 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 I don't care for Job. Uh, <laughs> Job is Orin, the yep. like the, the the kind of bumbling himbo. Yeah, Se- and uh, sex addict. Yeah, uh, <laughs> sex addict, bumbling himbo. Uh, Buster is yep. Mario, yep. the slow, liter- like literally deformed. Yeah. Uh, and then Michael is Hal. Michael is Hal. He's the the trying one to brother ba- trying, trying to, to balance it out, and, make it work, and keep keep the family together. Keeping the family together. Yes. Wow. There's no Lindsay though. There's no Lindsay. There's not a room for a Lindsay in this yeah. uh, story, and that's okay. I'm not I'm not sure what an incandenza sister would look like. Yeah. Um. And I don't. And I don't care to find out. <laughs> you know, like even the militant grammarian mom thing mm-hmm. feels like something. Like Lucille obviously doesn't care about grammar, grammar but, but like, she cares about other kinds of like de- decorum. Formal decorum and, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they don't let you. <laughs> they don't let you bring bees in here. <laughs> uh, I think it works. And then <sighs> only the- Lucille is the one with the addiction problems. Yes. Uh, Lucille is a, is a drunk like James O. And then the aloof, uh, hyper competent, uh, but removed and demanding father. Yeah. Who, yeah. Em- Empire building, yeah. like, ha- has a big, big goals and ambitions. But I wouldn't say, I don't think he's a con artist. If he's, if he's a scammer, his first mark is himself. Yes. I don't, he doesn't have scammer energy. No, but you know, I look, I think that this analogy works. I think it works. The, the, that the, the, <laughs> the, the Bluths are a, uh, Jestian family. I think, yeah, I think that's right. Um, all right. Do we need to do anything else on this one? I don't think we need to do anything right, else. We've done like 38. Okay. I think that's good. That's good. All right. Uh, we'll call it for this week. Uh, we will talk to you next week. From sunny California. 
if there's um if there's sound <laughs> we'll uh we'll record it um in the middle of downtown LA or we'll record we'll, it on the Hollywood uh boulevard. Well, next Saturday we'll be in San Diego. Okay, well we'll record it on the Seal Wharf. The Seal Beach. Seal Beach so you can hear the Loose gentle Seal. Lucille. You can hear the gentle honking of loose seals behind us. Um, or I don't know what's yeah, just ocean waves would be good. Yeah, what else is in San Diego? People being like, yeah, brah. Yeah, brah. Totally, brah. Uh, we'll go to the uh, the taco place that um, what's his name from Blink One Eighty Two owns? Taco John? No, yeah. not Taco John's. Um, uh, Wahoo's Fish Tacos. Wahoo's Fish Tacos. Hell yeah. Uh, Travis Barker's taco joint. I wonder. I I think he's still invested in that. I don't see why he would have pulled out. Anyway, uh, Travis Barker is a girl a girl boss. What? How close? How close are we to Eschaton? Pretty close. We're on page like three. I'll have to double check. Why don't I just look at the book right in front of me? We are on page three sixteen, and Eschaton starts at believe it or not. Oh God. Vamp, uh, we're, uh, she's counting the pages. She's counting. <gasps> it starts on three twenty-one. It's literally the next. We ooh wow. We, ooh, we'll have to figure that out. We'll have to figure that out because uh, Matt Chrisman requested to uh, guest on this show when we do the Eschaton chapter, and we will be seeing him in in L.A. two weeks. Oh yeah, okay. We'll figure this out. We'll fi- we might have to. We might have to finagle one of these uh, recordings, or like you know, uh, push or pull uh, a few days on on one side. But I, I do think Eschaton is going to take longer to read than the average thing. Well, that's that's fine. Even if we only get through part of it, uh, if we can do it in person with Matt, that would be that'd be sick. That'd be great synchronicity. Yeah. All right, uh, fun things to come. Yes. All right. Bye. bye.